to continue on uh, for a few minutes uh, with the, the Articles of Faith, and I want to go back and uh, uh, touch on the one that we were discussing or uh, looking at this last, this last Sunday. I felt like that, uh, uh, that uh, I ran out of time before finishing uh, adequately the, the last uh, article, article number eight, and so in discussing with uh, one brother, he said, I, he said, I got the first three points, but I didn't get the fourth one quite uh, uh, like I would like to have. So I want to touch on it again because I feel like it's, um, it's really important that we, that we understand these points. Um, I'm not going to be here forever. Elder Aquino's not going to be here forever. I don't know how long I'll be here, maybe five years, 10 years, 20 years. Maybe I'll be like Elder Thompson and be here 49 and a half years. But when I'm gone, I pray that these principles that our forefathers embraced that described the church and what the church represents and stands for, that our young men and young women will embrace and understand these very principles and that they'll continue and that Mount Carmel will continue on for many, many years after those in my generation are gone. I hope these young folks, these young children, will be grounded in the principles of the doctrines of grace. They're precious, precious truths, and they're a great blessing and a great benefit to understand and know. So I want to look at uh, this uh, eighth article right here, and then possibly the ninth one as well. The eighth one. There are four, specifically four, almost five Points in this particular article. We believe that immersion upon a profession of faith in Christ in the name of the sacred, sacred Trinity by one duly authorized by the church to administer the ordinance of the church in God is gospel baptism, and that only, and that all such persons so baptized shall walk circumspectly and have the right to partake of the Lord's Supper. So the point, the one that I want to really focus on is the one that's duly authorized by the church. What does that mean? And how is one duly authorized by the church? To recap a little bit about that article, we looked at four different areas in this particular article of faith. We looked, first of all, at the meaning of baptism. What does baptism mean? What does baptism do? We understand that baptism is not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. Baptism does not pay the price for our sins. But baptism is the answer of a good conscience toward God. Why are we baptized? Why do we go through the mode of baptism? One good reason is that Jesus Christ himself went through the mode of baptism. And then he gives us the instruction to teach, baptize, teach. There's a blessing in the uh, exercise of baptism. We also look that when you uh, go through baptism, you are identifying yourself as a follower of Christ. You are identifying yourself as a as a follower of Christ. I have a little document in my wallet that identifies me as a a citizen of the state of Maryland, of the United States of America and of the state of Maryland. And if, if I need to prove it, I can pull out my license and I can show folks that I'm identified with the state of Maryland, with the United States of America. Baptism identifies you as a follower and a believer in Jesus Christ. It also identifies you with the church of the living God. You have a church family. Families are a wonderful blessing. Uh, I shared with Brother Mike the other day when we were in the river 
uh, Brother Michael, when we were in the river, I said, you've got a wonderful natural family. Uh, you have uh, made the commitment to start a wonderful family with, uh, with yourself and Katie, and they're looking forward, Lord willing, to having some children. I said, you're going to have a wonderful family. But I said, uh, look around on the creek banks and up on the bridge. You've also got a wonderful church family. So when you follow in baptism, you're identifying yourself as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. You're also, uh, you're also making the statement that you, walk, that you desire to walk in a newness of life, in a new way. As Elder Compton said, we don't baptize folks on who they were. We baptize them on who they are. Those that have experienced a work of grace within their life that have a desire to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. The mode of baptism, it's, it's real special, but the mode of baptism actually preaches the gospel. And I thought it was real special when we were going down into the creek bank uh, this last week and down into the water. The mode of baptism of being buried with Christ, being raised in the resurrection of Christ, baptism itself, just the mode of it itself, also preaches the gospel in witnessing the experience of gospel baptism. We looked at the requirements of baptism uh, in order to be baptized. Uh, even Christ said you need to bring forth fruits, meet for repentance. But the primary, the primary requirement for following in gospel baptism is having a hope and a profession in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is your hope. He is your all in all. You realize that you're a sinner. You realize that the Lord has dealt with you by His grace. You realize that you've missed the mark. You realize that you don't measure up. And your only hope is in the grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But our forefathers also put in there that the the way that they worded this, uh, this article, it says that the administration of baptism needs to be administered by one that's duly authorized by the church. And so I want to look at that because I think that's a real important, real important point. One that's duly authorized by the church. It's not an arrogant position, but a humbling position to realize that God has placed a measure of responsibility upon the church of Jesus Christ to recognize one that is called by God to administer this sacrament of gospel baptism. And so let's look at how that one is recognized as a minister of the gospel. Because I think that travels back to the explanation of why we believe that you need to be baptized by a minister that's recognized by the church. So how does somebody become a minister? How do they do it? Most folks that I know among primitive Baptists have not really volunteered for the job. In fact, early on when I, when I began to struggle with the decision about whether I was called to preach or not, I remember saying in my mind, in my 20s, well, Maybe I'll preach the gospel when I get to the ripe old age of 40. But I'm not going to do it until then. Got too many other things in life that I'm involved in. We may have personal reasons. We may have a variety of reasons. But most people that, that, uh, that are called to preach, they're not necessarily running and volunteering for the job. In fact, I've shared with you that Elder Compton knew a gentleman down in North Carolina that uh, he, he was blessed in speaking and exhorting and encouraging the people. And he, he said that his wife, he was having dinner with his wife at, at the lunch table. And, and she said, when are you going to give in and give in to the call of the Lord and the call of the church? And when are you going to recognize what the Lord is doing in your life to, uh, to, to give in to the call and and be ordained by the church and recognized by the church. And this gentleman told his wife, he said, I wouldn't do it even if lightning struck. And he finished his plate of food and he walked outside to hoe the garden. 
And Elder Compton said he was hoeing the garden, and while he was hoeing, a bolt of lightning struck the hoe and threw it about 50 feet away from him, uh, 50 yards away from him. And he walked back inside trembling, and he told his wife he was ready to be ordained. <laughs> Lord knows what it takes to get each one's attention and bring each one to the end of self. But here's some things that are apparent in many folks that are called to preach. First of all, if somebody is called to preach the gospel, it's the Lord that calls them. We're told that if we're lacking ministers, that the one that we're supposed to talk to about this need is the Lord. That if we need ministers, we need to pray to the Lord because he's the one that grants the ministers. And so here's some things that you that you begin to see in someone that's called to preach. Now, the way that God has arranged it. He calls men to preach the gospel. We went to an ecumenical service at the old school Baptist meeting house in in uh, Southampton 20 plus years ago. Mark Huffman was there. Little Caleb Stewart was with us. He was five years old at the time. And he had been taught from an early age that it that God calls when he calls ones to preach that he calls men to preach the gospel. And. We were at this service, a lady walked in the pulpit and she began to exhort. And there is a there is a role for women to encourage and exhort. And there's wonderful examples that women have. But God calls men to preach the gospel. That's how God arranged it. And this lady walked up in the pulpit. He'd never seen a, a lady in the pulpit before. And she started speaking and. And he leaned over to me and he said. Brother Stephen, do you think she thinks that she's preaching the gospel? Well, God's made it clear that in his role, he calls men to proclaim the gospel. So one of the first things that you see when the Lord begins to call someone to preach is you see that they have a, a real heart for the Lord. They have a real heart for the Lord and and, and they, they rejoice in the promises of God. But they also have a real heart and they have a real passion for God's word. They have a, they have a great zeal to dig into God's word. And to be able to discover and open up what God's word has to say. And they have a, a zeal to not only read God's word and, and open it up for their own benefit, but, but they, they delight and they rejoice when God gives them the opportunity to share these precious truths with other folks and to see the, the difference and the blessing that it makes in the lives of others. So you begin to see this great desire to read God's word, to know God's word. You begin to see the great desire that they have for not only the Lord, but for his people and for the good of the Lord's people and for the good of the Lord's church. They desire to be used in any fashion for the good of the Lord's church. Their interest, their desire, their zeal begins to grow. The gifts that God gives them begins to manifest themselves and it begins to be apparent. And sometimes it's more apparent to the church than it is the individual that the Lord has called. I'll give you a for instance. I opened services at the Lubbock Church and I was still struggling with what the Lord would have me to do in my own mind. And, and, the, and the 
the role that he would have me to fill in the church. And I was still struggling with it. And I opened services. And, and after services, an elderly lady came through the handshake. And she said, you've got it. And I said, got what? And she said, I believe you're called to preach. And I sincerely meant what I said. I said, dear sister, if the Lord has shown this to you, I hope he'll show it to me as well. So sometimes the Lord shows it to the congregation. Being called to preach, I'm using this analogy. This is one that I can relate to. But being called to preach and growing in that calling is it's almost like a mother that is pregnant with child. There's a time that the mother is carrying this child and it's an appropriate time. And then when it's time for that child to be delivered, it's generally speaking about nine months. Some a little bit sooner. Some a little bit past that. I'm not saying that it's specifically nine months, but I am saying that there is a uh, there is a time that from the time that the Lord calls an individual to preach the gospel. That he grows in this calling until the church recognizes it and until the individual recognizes the calling. And then the individual is set aside for an ordination We'll talk about that here in just a minute. I don't make preachers. Mount Carmel doesn't make preachers. God has raised up a number of preachers here at Mount Carmel. And what a blessing that is that we've been able to witness this time period like a mother carrying a child. I don't go around promoting that somebody is to be ordained. In the case, in my case, I was filling appointments at the church in Crosbyton, Texas. My home church was in Lubbock, Texas, and the church in Crosbyton called for my ordination. They asked my church, my church home in Lubbock. They said, we'd like to call Brother Stephen to be our pastor. We have been blessed by his gift and we would like to call for his ordination. In the situation with Andrew Huffman, he was filling appointments at the Wilmington Church. And the Wilmington Church called for the ordination of Brother Andrew Huffman. In the situation with Brother Andy White, Andy White, the church had been praying for years that God would raise up a minister or send a minister. They weren't praying he'd raise up. They were praying he'd send a minister from the south to Southampton, Pennsylvania. And all those years, visiting ministers visited the church. And during that time, God was raising up a young man. And they saw it. And then Brother Andy saw it and the church at Southampton called for the ordination of Brother Andy White. Now, it doesn't have to be that another church calls for the ordination. But as one minister uh, explained it to me, he said, when that happens and another church calls for the ordination of a minister like it did with Brother Andy and like it did with Brother Andrew, said that is an added assurance that the Lord's in the matter, that it's of the Lord. So what are some qualifications of a minister? Let's look at first Timothy. We'll, we'll, we'll hit a few here in first Timothy. In fact, first Timothy not only gives us some qualifications of a minister, but it also gives us qualifications of a deacon. Now, generally, it's the church that sets aside and recognizes the individual that has been called in the ministry. And generally, it's the church that calls for the ordination of a deacon. We had a we had a wonderful meeting here 20 some odd years ago, and there was an older brother that was here and and uh, he, he, he hadn't been a member very long. Wonderful brother that was loved by all. And after the three day meeting that we had, the three days of worship services, he was rejoicing in the Lord. And he called me on a Tuesday after the meeting and he said, uh, 
Uh, it, I remember it was Tuesday because it was uh, we had the Subway sandwich shop back then. It was two ninety nine Tuesday, and people were lined out the door to get the two ninety nine foot long subs. And so I remember when he called, and he called, and he said, "I need to talk to you." He said, uh, I, "I went to the back, and and I said, uh, what is it, brother Frank?" And he says, "I've decided that I want to be a deacon." I said, "Well, that's great." Um, it's a, it's a good office to desire. But I said, let's go read the qualifications of a deacon. So I grabbed my Bible and over the phone, customers lined out the door. I'm reading the uh, qualifications of a deacon here in 1 Timothy chapter uh, 3, uh, starting with uh, verse, verse 10 on down. And I read all the qualifications of the deacon and just simply read it. And he said, well... I guess that counts me out. I didn't ask him which point it was that he felt like counted him out, but uh, that, was, uh, that was his response to it. Here's the office of a minister. I'll share this with you. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop must then be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, and apt to teach. And I don't believe this means that if you don't have a wife, you need to go get one. What it means is that you have only one wife. And that's what it's describing right here. The Apostle Paul, we don't have evidence that he had a wife. And it opened up, uh, he, was, he had opportunities to uh, many areas that, that he might not have had. And so that's what I think this means right here. It says the bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife. Uh, he must be vigilant. He must be sober. What does that mean, sober? Well, um, thankfully, I don't require a whole lot of sleep. But I decided one day that I wanted to sleep more than what I was sleeping. So I told the doctor about it, and he wrote me a prescription out. And the prescription was Ambien. By the way, I thank the Lord. I don't take any prescriptions. I may have to start tomorrow, but right now, I don't. And uh, I'm very thankful to the Lord for that. So he writes out this little white pill, this, uh, this Ambien to take. And so uh, I decided I wanted to get a, a full night's rest. And I went home and, uh, and, uh, and I took this Ambien. And earlier that day, Sister Elsie uh, Evans had passed away. Rogers, she had married Frank Rogers by the time. And so we were in the process of making all the arrangements for Sister Elsie throughout the day, her funeral, and, and we, the funeral home had been selected, the arrangements were made, and, and then I took this Ambien, and if you take Ambien, that's okay, maybe your body can tolerate it better than mine could, but mine could not, and uh, so I took this uh, Ambien, Brother Sonny Powell said, Brother Stephen, if you have to take something to put you to sleep, you'll have to take something to wake you up. So I just decided that it didn't work for me. I'm not encouraging it. But I took the Ambien and I went to, went to bed and the phone rang. And it was Sister Peggy Franklin wanting to know the details of Sister Elsie's funeral. And if you've taken Ambien, you better not answer the phone. <laughs> she said, well, how are you doing? I said, well, I just got through talking to Sister Elsie. <laughs> She said, what? And I just couldn't think straight. Well, I wasn't sober-minded. I wasn't. Sober-minded is that your mind is, is clear and thinking in the right direction. And he says right here that you need to be sober-minded. You need to be one of good behavior. You need to be given to hospitality. You need... He says right here, one of, the, one of the benefits, you need to be able to teach one not given to wine. I don't believe that that means that wine is wrong, but you should not be given to wine. No striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, and not covetous. Verse 4, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. 
Verse 5, for if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Verse 6, he says a, a bishop or a minister should not be a novice. Why do we not ordain a novice? He says, should not be a novice, but a novice would be lest he be lifted up with pride and lest he fall into the condemnation of the devil. It says not a not a novice. And then it says that another requirement is that he must have a good report of them which are without. Lest he fall into the reproach and snare of the devil. Now, I think about Brother Jackson, who was a model deacon here at Mount Carmel Church, a great blessing, a model deacon. The church was first in his life. He was a wonderful, wonderful example of a godly deacon. And it, it says that the deacons must have very similar requirements as the gospel minister does right here. But it says that, moreover, he must have a good report from those that are without. And, and I think Brother Jackson just feel that to a T. And what he's saying right here is that a minister needs to have this same report as well. Brother Jackson not only had a good report here in the church with those that knew him here uh, at, at Mount Carmel, but he was well known in the community of Bel Air and everybody that knew Oris Jackson gave a good report of Brother Jackson. Whether they were affiliated with the church or not, he fulfilled this and taught what this means right here. So he says, here's some things that you need to consider in calling for a man to be uh, ordained. Second uh, Timothy, second Timothy chapter one. And we'll look at a couple of, of, of places right here. Second Timothy chapter one. Paul says to Timothy, Paul is Thanking God for blessing him with this young man in the ministry. And Paul's heart was knit with the heart of Timothy. And, and Paul was thanking God. And Paul was encouraging Timothy in the ministry. And he says, Timothy, I remember, I remember that wonderful faith that your mother had. I remember that wonderful faith that your grandmother had. And he said, Timothy, I see that in you. And he comes down and he says, he says, uh, I remember the faith. He says in verse six, wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He says, be thou not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his, his prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel to the power of God. He, he, he is encouraging Timothy right here. He said, Timothy, I see the faith that you have. It's the same faith that your mother had. It's the same faith your grandmother had. And he says, I see that working in you. And I see the calling in you, Timothy. And then he goes down and he says, you make full proof of your ministry. You make full proof of the calling that God has given you. So Paul is encouraging Timothy right here. In, in verse, uh, verse uh, 1 of chapter 4, he says... Uh, in, in chapter uh, four, he says, I charge thee, therefore, he gives uh, Timothy this charge. And he says, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord and before Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at, at his appearing and, and his kingdom. And then he says, and, and this is a this is a powerful charge to Timothy right here. He says, Timothy, I want you to take the gift that God has given you. And I want it to be the greatest priority and conviction in your life. And I want you to preach the word of God. And I want you to be instant in season and out of season. What does that mean? It means when you feel like it and when you don't. It means if you feel like you're ready to preach or if you don't. It means it means. Whenever you have an opportunity to preach the gospel and you have a, 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 an audience that will rejoice in the gospel, he says, you seize that opportunity 
to share the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, by the way, Timothy, here's what you teach. You teach the word of God. That's what you teach. I try to encourage young ministers that God sends our way. And I, I, I'm, I'm so thankful when they are receptive and want to, to learn and grow. And I try to encourage them. I, I say, stick to the word. Stick to God's word. Stick to the Bible. He says, you preach the word. You be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all suffering and doctrine. He said, you've got an opportunity to make a difference by the message that you have in the lives of other people. And I want you to take the zeal and the calling that God has given you. And you use it to the glory of Almighty God. And you preach the word we're taught and I believe this applies for all of us but especially for gospel ministers we're taught that we are to run our race with patience now that's a real strange way to say that you would run a race with patience I mean Ray if you're going to take off running a race I doubt your folks would encourage you to be patient in the race. You want to win the race. But I believe what he's talking about is that the calling when you're called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're called for the long haul. Things change in your life. You don't have quite, quite the zeal that you used to have. You don't have quite the energy. You may have the desire mentally, but sometimes you don't have maybe the strength and energy to do what you did 25 years ago. I believe what he's talking about is that you pace yourself for the long haul where you can finish the race honoring the Lord. I had a wonderful pastor. He was a great blessing. But he burnt the candle at both ends from the very first time that I ever met him. And he pushed so hard that at 64 years of age, he passed away at an early age. I believe that we are called for the long, the long haul. Um, again, in Titus, in Titus, Titus chapter 1. It says, um, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. It almost is the same. A lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, holy, temperate. It says, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayer. Because he says there are many vain talkers and deceivers that are come in. So in recognizing one that the church has duly authorized to fill this role. What is it that the minister needs to Believe about God's word. You recognize that there's definitely a calling that comes from God. You recognize that he has a zeal and a burning desire. Jeremiah described it like this. He says, it's like a fire that shut up in my bones. The only way that you can relieve that, that fire that shut up in the bones is to, is to share that message that God has placed upon the heart of an individual. But, but what is the message? That's a, that's a vital part of recognizing the calling of a minister of God. When I begin to search for where I was going, going to land in serving God in my life, I wanted to find 
I wanted to find a, a, a group of people that I felt like I could take the scriptures and I could go all the way back to the instruction that we're taught in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Well, what is the apostles' doctrine? I think that's vital to what we're looking at right here. Could I just believe anything? And come before you? Could I just say, well, I believe in a higher power? I, I, I don't really. It, it, is, it astounds me to hear the uh, reports of, of folks in uh, Christian, so-called Christian universities that don't believe that God's word is the inspired word of God. It's astounding to, to hear of folks that claim to be Christians and they don't believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. It's astounding to realize that there are folks that claim to be Christian and they don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If I just came before you and I didn't embrace the principles that are taught in God's word, I would think and I would expect that real soon you'd be looking for another pastor. And you should. You should. If I bring something to you that we can't prove in God's word then either I need to change or you need to find another pastor. It says right here, and they continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. So what is the apostles' doctrine? I, I don't want to make this more complicated than it is, and I hope that, that, that I'm not. I hope it's explaining it to you. I, I, I think there, there, there needs to be... We need to know why our forefathers embraced these, these articles and these layers that, that the church has stood by for these years and, and, and hopefully will continue even after we're gone. What's the Apostles' Doctrine? The Apostles' Doctrine is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And, and thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. Jesus Christ did exactly what He was called to do, and He did it completely and wholly. That's the Apostles' Doctrine. We believe in, uh, we believe in redemption. We believe in, in Articles 5 and 6 and 7. 4, 5, 6 and 7. This is, this is what the Apostles taught. If we can't take... And, and trace this doctrine to what the apostles taught in the book of Acts and in all throughout the Gospels. If we can't trace it back to that, then we're missing the mark. And we need to start looking for the place that we can find that preaches what the apostles' doctrine was. So here's some of the apostles' doctrine. We believe that redemption, regeneration, sanctification, justification, and salvation are all by the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection and the mediation of Jesus Christ. And in no other way, we believe that the saints of God, that they were predestinated unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. We believe that they're elected or chosen in Christ to salvation according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And we believe that they'll be called with a holy calling and that the righteous of Christ, the righteousness of Christ is, is actually imputed to them by the effectual working of the Holy Spirit so that none of the heirs of promise will be eternally lost. We believe in immediate regeneration of the Holy Spirit of God. We believe that it is solely by the grace of of Almighty God and the Spirit of Almighty God and in no other way. Somebody might be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ when God quickens and touches the life of an individual and they might be confused to think that they needed to give the gospel credit for it. But the gospel doesn't get credit for what God does. Only God can give spiritual life. It solely comes from God. And we believe that when He does it, it's effective every Every single time I, I, I share to you, I share with you in John chapter six. I love this right here in John chapter six. He says uh, uh, in chapter five, chapter six, all that the father giveth me shall come to me and him that cometh me. I will in no wise cast out. Uh, you know what? I, I, to me, that's not a narrow doctrine. To me, that's not a restrictive doctrine. 
To me, that is a very broad and wide doctrine. And it's an inclusive doctrine. He says all that the father gives him shall come to him. He's not going to lose a single one that's given to him by the father. What's he saying? He's saying that the work that Jesus Christ did upon the cross of Calvary was 100, 100% completely effective. And it's recognized by the father. And there's not a single one of the heirs of promise that's ever going to be lost. I'll tell you what, I like that. That suits my case. It suited my case for over 40 years. If I live another 40, I don't know how old I'll be then, but real old. I, 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 hope, that, I hope I'll still be holding to those very precious truths. I'm secure in Christ and I receive salvation by the immediate working of the Holy Spirit, by the immediate new birth of the Holy Spirit. By the way, salvation is not taught in the scriptures that it is a progressive thing. It's not. It's an immediate thing. Sanctification is progressive. And you know what? I don't know about you. I can relate only my own experience in this. Sometimes I get real discouraged in this sanctification process. I feel like sometimes I measure up and I feel like most of the time I don't. And so I can't subscribe to this idea that I'm good and getting better. That's just not been my experience. I try, but I see more and more the error of my own way. I know more and more my own self and my own thoughts and my own shortcomings. But I tell you what, my salvation, I have a hope in Christ. If it's not by Christ and by his grace and by what he's done for me, And by paying it in full upon the cross of Calvary, I don't have anything to hope for. I don't. If it's if it's based upon this idea of good works, my good works outweighing my bad works, then I don't know about you, but I've already missed the mark in it. I I know that I have. I can relate oftentimes with the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter five, that that I would do, I do not. And that that I would not do, I do. The Apostle Paul comes down and he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who's going to deliver me? He says, I think Jesus Christ that I'm going to be delivered from that. My cousin that passed away. I didn't know him real well. I knew I I, I didn't know my second cousin. I knew his father well, but not the son. And he had so many, many struggles in his life. And I told his grandmother when I talked to her, I said, you know, one good thing about it is he's not having those struggles anymore. He's not. I'm thankful that we have a hope in Christ and that someday we'll be delivered from all our struggles, from all of them. Well, that's, um, that's a super important point that we, that we recognize the, the apostles' doctrine. So now I'll just summarize about this one that's recognized to offer and administer baptism. How is he recognized? First of all, he begins to come up, as we've mentioned, and you begin to see a burning desire for study of the word. You begin to see a great desire to to share this word with other folks and, and a great desire to know that in some small, small way you're used of God to make a difference in other people's lives to the glory of almighty God. You also embrace and recognize the apostles' doctrine. And then when it comes to fruition, and I I never encourage uh, pushing it along or speeding it along in any fashion. I told Andy White. I told Asa Mosley. I told Andrew Huffman. I said, as long as you're exercising and you're growing in the ministry, I said, you can do that at my expense. If you mess up, Folks are going to come talk to me about it and say, you need to talk to Brother Andrew or you need to talk to Brother Asa. You might talk to him directly, but ultimately they can learn and grow. I said, you also need to be focusing on building your family. You've been blessed with these young children. You're never going to have a time like this in your life again that you can grow your family and the relationships of your family. But I said, when the time comes, I said, your calling is going to be recognized for life responsibility when you pastor a church is really a 24 7 now i don't have folks calling 24 hours a day but if there's a need some of you have called and i've gone to the hospital at one in the morning and i'm happy to do that whenever it is when there's a need i want to 
try to be used of the Lord to encourage people. Pastors really kind of have to empty their voicemails too. The other day I texted Bray. I sent a text to Bray and I said, Bray, your voicemail is not set up. And, and I said, you, you might want to set your voicemail up. And he said, well, you might want to empty your voicemails. They're already over, over full. And so a minister needs to be able to, to be reached in a, in, a, in a reasonable time. But it changes your life forever. So after that's recognized and a church either calls for a minister to pastor or to be ordained. Then the church has this awesome responsibility. Of not making a preacher, but recognizing what God has done. And the church rejoices in the Lord working in this gift. And the church calls the sister churches together and calls for other ministers and they form what's referred to as a presbytery. Some of you have never witnessed an ordination. I I hope you witness a whole bunch of them. They take the visiting elders and, and deacons. They form a presbytery. And they enter into a formal conference, you might say. And they question the church about the calling of the individual and say, do you believe that this individual has manifest a gift? And then there is a minister or ministers that selected to question the candidate that's considered for ordination. And the questions are very much like what we've talked about in our articles of faith. Do you believe in the sovereignty of God? Do you believe in the inspired word of God? And, 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 and they want they they desire something more than a yes or no answer. They want to know why you believe it and to be able to cite scriptures that support what you believe about, quote, the apostles doctrine. And then if it satisfies the group of elders that, yes, indeed, you're sound in the faith. Then a minister gets up and for 30, 45 minutes gives what's referred to like 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 you folks experience each Sunday, a message that's referred to as the charge. And it basically outlines the responsibilities, the commitments of the individual for the rest of their life. And then a moving and humbling experience is that the ministers gather around and they lay hands upon the minister and they have the ordination prayer and then they announce that this is a minister that we've recognized that's been called by God it's not a light thing I'll never forget when we went to the ordination of brother Albert Robbins over on the eastern shore we took elder Compton he was 101 years old He was so feeble, we had to get a recliner for him to set in through the ordination service. And when it came time to laying on of hands, we took the recliner and pushed it over next to Brother Robbins, and he was able to lay his hand on him and pray. Those men are praying that God will prosper your labors, that God will hold you up, That God will be with you when you get discouraged. That God will keep you on the right path and that you'll preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and that you'll do it until the Lord calls you home. And so when our forefathers said that they recognized that baptism is to be one that's duly authorized by the church, that's not a light thing. I've heard it said, this didn't carry a lot of weight with me, but I've heard it said, well, when I joined the Primitive Baptist, uh, I had been baptized in another order. You heard what Brother Van said. You heard my experience and, uh, last, last week. And, and I've heard folks say, well, this is how it was explained to me. If I was married and my wife died, and I married another wife, I wouldn't use the same ceremony that I used for my first wife 
and, and expect that that marriage would be recognized. I would go through that ceremony again with my new wife. Well, that satisfied the individual that told me that was their experience, but it didn't satisfy me. I wanted to know what it was that our forefathers meant when they said, we want the church to represent that it's one recognized by the church. Well, how are we recognized? We're recognized by a variety of things, but one of the greatest being that the minister preach the apostles' doctrine. A lot of messages you can hear, a lot of places you can go that give some of the glory to the Lord. Regarding our eternal salvation, we give all the glory to the Lord. 100%. We believe we're called, we're chosen, we're redeemed. And we're paid for by the blood of Christ. And it's paid for in full. That's the apostles doctrine. That we've been. That we've held to here for 85 years. There's a few little things that I'd probably change in our articles of faith. In fact I want to add an article. And I'll share that with you in a couple of weeks. So I want you to keep coming. Because there is an article that I want to propose to you that we add. I'm not adding it. I want to propose it to you. And I think I have good reason for it. So maybe this will encourage you to come to to know what this article is. But I want to continue in the articles that have been given to us by our forefathers. And they had good reason for what they did. These articles are hundreds of years old. And it summarizes what we believe the church of Jesus Christ represents You've had an opportunity, and I've, I was told that the, the fourth point last week was not real clear, so I tried to preach it again today, and I hope it wasn't uh, monotonous, but I just want you to understand them as best you can. If you have questions, I'm happy to talk about them afterwards, but I believe these are wonderful principles that summarize what we believe the Scriptures teach in the Church of Jesus Christ. And this is what is represented here at Mount Carmel. May God bless you. You've been able to listen to this special podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 1030 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.